0: see oh What a way to start a career.
1: Good morning, and welcome to episode 216 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from baseballperspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? Great. Oh.
0: <laughs> it always surprises you when I, I don't just groan or something. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, it's. Um, well, it's good to hear you. Mm-hmm. It's good to hear you, you chirpy this morning. Uh, yes. What do you want to talk about?
0: Uh, I want to talk about the White Sox.
1: Okay, and I want to talk about being a hater. Mm, okay. Act- I guess actually I want to talk about Pu- uh, Puig's debut.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Sure. So I got an email. This is in response to a reader email, not a listener email. So I feel. Justified in answering it before our listener email show. Uh, It's from Steven. He asks um, What should the White Sox do to become relevant again? As near as I can tell they have almost no sellable parts even if they want to eat a ton of salary Rios, PV, Reed, maybe Crane could yield players who could play for the next Sox championship team Sale could provide that yield too, but he might be the only player you consciously keep Viciedo, Santiago, and Quintana might have enough upside to keep the rest of it blow it up The farm system seems to have low upside pitchers and a lot of Viciedo clones I'm not sure the Sox could get back the talent that Houston received when they finally began selling off everything It strikes me as one of the biggest challenges faced by a front office in a long time I'd love to hear the thoughts of one or more of your writers uh, So we are two of, of our writers uh, so I, I guess I, I basically agree with Stephen's assessment of the of the state of the White Sox. I talked to Jason Parks last night uh, and asked him basically if there had been any encouraging news about the White Sox farm system this year, uh, because they were the one team that did not have a single prospect on our top one hundred one list. Um, and he said basically no, there has. There has really not been any any good news uh, about their system this year, it's, it's still bad. Uh, I guess their top prospect was, or is, Courtney Hawkins, um, who again was not on our top 101, but he was 55 on Baseball America's list. He is hitting 189 right now in high A, uh, with some power. But, uh, so Jason said uh, that he has been very disappointing. The rest of the farm is not pretty, and it is kind of hard to find sellable parts on the major league roster. It, it, it's sort of, it's different from the Astros, as Stephen pointed out, in that there aren't really affordable players like like a Wandy Rodriguez or a Hunter Pence or Bud Norris or people like that who the Astros have traded or have been rumored to be considering trading. Uh, they're just kind of, I mean, there's, there's Rios, there's PV, uh, and then it's, it's pretty thin after that. Um, Dang,
1: it, uh, Danks isn't a terrible comp for Wandi, is he? Uh,
0: yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Um,
1: so. I mean, yeah, he has to, he, he has to stick for a few starts and, yeah you know, do, do a few decent things, but, uh, you know, you know yeah, so, Wandy was... Wandi-like.
0: Right, okay. Um, so I, I mean under Kenny Williams The White Sox never really Did a rebuilding It was always uh, Trying to patch together the roster Trying to win and, and to his credit he was often successful With that strategy um, But the the farm system kind of Is showing the impact of his years Of not And maybe it's not his fault Maybe it's ownership But you know, not spending over slot in the draft And not really Going after the international market, uh, and they've they've kind of corrected that. At least last year, they spent more in the draft, and it seems like that's a new philosophy and pursuing more players on the international market. But as we've discussed, it's kind of hard to remake your your roster quickly via those avenues anymore. So what do you do with the White Sox? It's a team that's not really It doesn't really seem to be going anywhere right now. Doesn't really seem like it's going to be going anywhere with the current core. And yet you can't really forecast anything from the farm system coming along and making the team into a contender without without them doing something drastic, it seems like. Like a a wait-and-see approach doesn't seem like it's going to lead to anything very good here. So do you just blow it up and trade everything you can and and hope that that's enough to kind of kickstart a a rebuilding movement
1: first i I just want to note that uh uh, courtney hawkins i'm glad he's bringing back the courtney Mm -hmm. i i find it um i find it odd how every every boy's name eventually becomes a girl's name and Mm -hmm. never goes back and it troubles me and i there's nothing i love more than seeing a a classic (laughs) old boy's name
0: uh
1: uh, reclaimed reclaimed for the boys Mm mm-hmm just wanted to note that. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, Do you think that, um, you know, we sometimes look at team age, and uh, I I remember you wrote about the Phillies last year, and you found something in their age that showed that they were, like, about to fall off a cliff or something like that, Um, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I wonder if instead of looking at team age, if it would be more instructive to look at team service time, an average service time per player, which I've never seen anybody do. Um, but I wonder if that might actually be more telling.
0: Yeah, possibly. I think if you if you look at team age, I think I did that last week when I was looking up something else. And if I remember right, they had maybe the, the second oldest position players and fairly young pitchers on the younger side at least.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have... Uh, about half of their 25-man roster is, is six-plus six years of service time. So I'm wondering if that's higher than normal or not. But I don't know. The White Sox are tricky because um, I, I'm pretty sure that that we – I have certainly have thought uh, they were going to be bad for pretty much each of the last seven years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've been bad for like half of those years. And then they've been good right. for half of those years. And so it's um, – you know, I feel a, – a, at this point I feel a little bit of – deference to, to Kenny Williams who's uh, won a lot more games than I expected him to mm-hmm. uh do you feel the, the same way at all Is do you have a history of, of miscalculating the White House?
0: uh yeah I guess so and I guess that's kind of what Pakoda is known for also for sort of underestimating them and maybe because of the the health thing and their excellent track record of of keeping players off the DL
1: yeah, uh, well, and, and also for... It's interesting how Picota is also known more than anything for nailing them that one year. Yes. <laughs> right. The White Sox are Picota's number one anecdote and...
0: And also the biggest strike against them sometimes. Yeah, uh, so, their, so... And their health, actually. I just looked up for something I was writing this morning, and they actually have the sixth most days missed on the DL this year. Uh, I didn't really look to see whether it was important players but um but they don't seem to have had that kind of magic touch so mm-hmm. far this season
1: um yeah i we talked i remember getting one of our first angry emails i think back when we started this podcast about our uh or it might have been an angry blog post about us uh, when that we didn't give the white Sox enough credit mm-hmm. um that we didn't recognize the star potential of Viciato and mm-hmm. deaza for instance or the the farm which I think we were not given we, we didn't give enough credit to their farm system for for producing yeah,
0: for, like serviceable VCO. people or yeah parts that could be on a roster even if they weren't stars
1: exactly and so um so yeah so I'm I'm a little bit hesitant but yeah I mean it, it's not the White Sox right now are not as sexy a team as the Angels and the Dodgers they're not as expensive a team as the Angels or Dodgers and they're not doing quite as poorly as the Angels and Dodgers. However, you could you could very easily imagine that if they had uh, three fewer wins and had made one more signing this offseason, uh, they would be wrapped into that editors around the country would be wrapping them into that trend because they're a, you know, they are a big market and they do have uh, the lousy farm system and they don't seem to have a plan that goes beyond uh, getting the next veteran who comes available. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not clear that that's a way that, that you can win these days, unless you have, well, no, it's, I was going to say, unless you have $225 million, but that's it's not clear that that's a way that you can win, even if you have $225 million.
0: Yeah, I, I went on a, a Chicago station this weekend, and before I went on, the host was talking about how it's not viable for the White Sox to rebuild. He was kind of making the Cubs-White Sox comparison and saying... Uh, you know the Cubs have such a long history and such a loyal fan base that they can rebuild. Their fans will understand and they will stick with them, and Wrigley will sell out every game anyway. Whereas the White Sox don't have that kind of currency and and can't really just punt a few seasons because they will lose whatever fans they have right now. So I, I I'm sort of I, I mean I'm sort of sympathetic to that that viewpoint, but on the other hand the White Sox aren't. Drawing anyone anyway, as it is, uh, they're eleventh in attendance this year, so maybe they just don't have that much to lose right now.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a, an, an an over. I I think a lot more teams feel that way about themselves than is probably true. I mean, it's true that mm-hmm. you don't want to you don't want to spend four years wandering about collecting uh, number two draft picks, mm-hmm. but I think I think a lot of teams underestimate. Um, the their ability to bounce back from a losing season Mm. popularity wise um and uh so i don't know that i that i accept that and you know clearly the the, it's far worse to lose for a long stretch at a time and it's it's not entirely clear that that there is a way that there is a non-rebuilding way to 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 go from bad to good at this point Mm -hmm. uh and you know that's you can't not be good. You can't you can't be bad and say, "Well, we're not rebuilding. We're just bad." Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know you you have to actually produce something out of it. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not panicked about the White Sox right now because, like I said, they you know they won 85 games last year. Um, they you know they've they've got a decent track record. They've probably won more games over the last you know six years than 20 20 major league teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know it's it's not as though they're They've descended into this horrible cycle of losing. You could also, you know, you could also imagine that if they had won three more games right now, mm-hmm. they'd be at 500, and you know, people would be saying, "Well, geez, do they have enough to get a tr- piece of the trade deadline?"
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Hahn said something recently. I think it was a Sunday morning interview. He called the White Sox's past week uh, difficult and embarrassing, um, mm-hmm. which maybe sounds like the words of someone who is ready to do something drastic I don't know maybe not um, yeah
1: man poor, poor Gordon Beckham
0: yes <laughs> well Gordon Beckham comes back I mean if Gordon Beckham is the the cavalry who's going to is <laughs> going to fix your offensive struggles that's that's about as depressing I guess as the Marlins getting Casey Kochman back and hoping that that improves improves their scoring
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been staring at their baseball reference page since you started talking, and Mm -hmm. and I can understand your emailers' (laughs) frustration because I just I keep scrolling up and then scrolling down and then (laughs) looking. Well, maybe they're good against lefties. No, they're not good against lefties. (laughs) Like, like maybe that's their great hope was that they're gonna have a good platoon split. Like, that's how sad this is. (laughs) Okay. All right. so uh, Puig made his debut last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did some things. I don't know if you saw any of those things.
0: Yeah, didn't watch the game, but watched all the things that he did.
1: Uh, the So the things he did were a couple of singles uh, in four at-bats. Uh, you know, a uh, a hard turnaround first might be <laughs> considered a thing that he did. Uh, a throw to second. A throw home, neither of which netted an out but allowed him to display that he does in fact have a functional arm and then a game ending play in which he caught a fly ball at the warning track um
0: that was the sexy one
1: well we'll get to that and uh doubled up the base runner who had been deked at second base with a sort of a flat-footed throw uh that was more or less on the line and and got kristin out for the final out of the game which was a nice bit of timing for a sexy debut mm-hmm. and so i uh i i don't like to be the guy who's like ah kids with their hype and their young people and all that uh but i do find myself like not that impressed by his game last night mm-hmm. and sort of turned off by the fact that i woke up this morning and it was just nothing but <laughs> like crazy adulation for yes him. right I, I just have a, I just, I just don't get the feeling that like if, if, uh, if he, that, you know, that if Andre Ethier had had this same game, that that people would be, you know, that excited about Andre Ethier's performance. And uh, I feel bad. I feel bad about this because I, I, I want people to have their fun, and I, heavens knows, I've made a living uh, hyping young players for websites and magazines, <laughs> uh, but. Um, I don't know. I just I'm not that excited, so I'm, I don't know. I'm wondering if, if you're gonna make me more excited or not. But I just want to do a quick review of a of the MLB. Um, com. Uh, recap of Puig's uh-huh. debut. So I'm just I'm just gonna pick out some choice some choice expert ex- excerpts um, that that I think all convey a sense of um, of uh, of of cliche or overwriting or over-romanticism that in fact betrays. The, the fact that in fact there wasn't a whole lot here to write about directly. Like mm-hmm. like like I, I feel like with Manny Machado, you don't have to really get into the cliches. You just say what he's done and it speaks for itself or you you gif what he's done and it speaks for himself. But here I think that there's a forceness that actually shows that there's a yeah. bit more there's I, a bit more effort being made to hype the player than than is necessarily deserved. So yeah,
0: I, I did kind of get the sense that Puig was going to be the story one way or another today it, unless he went over five with four strikeouts or something yeah. people were probably gonna seize on the positive aspects but yeah but but read the highlights
1: all right so um all right uh okay uh <laughs> this is this, I, i'm gonna i actually feel bad because i'm gonna start with my favorite <laughs> uh, okay so puig singled on a 2-2 change up in his first at bat against eric stoltz a crafty southpaw notably he, he's crafty mm-hmm. he didn't he could have said he singled in his first Sebastians against Eric Stoltz, who was out of the game a year and a half ago. <laughs> but no, he's a crafty southpaw. Okay. But he was erased when Punto hit into a double play, but there was a new energy in the grand old ballpark, and mm. it reached Adrian Gonzalez, who then went on to homer. So Puig actually gets credit <laughs> wow. for Gonzalez's home run against Eric Stoltz. Like. Like, I can just imagine before the game, Don Mattingly looking at his lineup and going, well, there's no way Gonzalez, Adrian Gonzalez, could ever hit Eric Stoltz. But, well, maybe I'll leave him in the lineup in case the energy trickles down to him. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's my favorite. But then um, a team that had been dragging suddenly seemed inspired, uh, which, you know, they scored two runs uh, against Eric Stoltz. Um, After his second hit the other way with one out in the sixth, he made a wide turn before slamming on the brakes. This guy plays the game on the edge, exactly what Mattingly had been pining for all season. Um, When Punto drove a single to right center, Puig didn't get a good read, pausing near second. But his blazing speed carried him into third, where he was stranded on Gonzalez's double play ball. Um, Where he gets uh, lauded for not getting a good read. Uh, interestingly. uh, There's the Bo Jackson comp.
0: Yes, I've heard that many times.
1: There's the Mike Trout comp. Mm -hmm. There is a Major League debut every bit as sensational as a seasoned script writer could conceive, which Mm. is a Classic cliche that in this case is 100% not true. Many <laughs> script writers could conceive of a two for four, two singles, <laughs> and a pretty, and the, the pretty hits okay. Weren't even,
0: the hits Whether weren't we're particularly get, impressive.
1: We're gonna, we'll get to that. But, okay. <laughs> yeah, and a pretty okay defensive play to end the game that really probably more of the credit behind the scenes should go to the middle infielders who deeped the heck out of Denorpia. Mm. And then Don Mattingly, quote, This is Hollywood. Uh, and then finally, on the last play, uh, there was a momentary delay before the out call was made by umpire Wagner. It seemed the four umpires could not believe what they'd just seen, which is not – it's not what it seemed. That's not what it <laughs> <laughs> seemed at all. First off, the third base umpire was – had nothing to do with this. Why are we talking about the four umpires? The, only Wagner had to make a call. And what actually happened is that uh, because it was the home plate umpire's call – uh, there was – I think maybe there was a little confusion about whose call there was. And so there was like a, a split second where Wagner looked at another umpire mm-hmm. to see if like, like – it's me, right? It's, it's me. And, and that's it. It was not not nearly – it did not nearly seem that the four umpires could not believe what they'd just seen. I, I mean if, 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 if more than one of them had collapsed in a fit in a of ecstasy, <laughs> uh-huh. then I might have accepted that. But, but in fact, none of them, zero umpires collapsed – there was zero fits of, of, of ecstasy. Um, and so there's this quote, which my my other favorite part of this piece is that there is this quote in the middle of it that I can't believe the writer used because it completely, it's, it's the most banal quote. And if you're reading the piece, you get to this quote and you go, oh, okay, so that's what really happened. And it's from Bud Black. And he says... It just happened that the right fielder has a strong arm and made an accurate throw, <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> which, it which is what it. <laughs> Like, like, like Puig. it's true. Puig has a strong arm, um, and he made an accurate throw. It was not the sexiest throw I've ever seen. The lead, by the way, was uh, Kevin Kennedy saying that he's Roberto Clemente. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, the hits were not the hit. I I didn't see the game live, and so in my head, I had a mental image of what the hit, what the first hit was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Just just, just totally guessing what it was going to look like, and it was exactly that. It was a, a change up just out of the zone, and he sort of flails at it with his arms and, and bloops one into left field. Which, um, by the way, as an aside, um, when you see a guy, what would, would you, what would be more impressive to you, a, a first pit, a first single where he squares up a ball that's out of the zone. Or a first pitch single where he hits hard a pitch that's right down the middle like would you rather what's more impressive to you a guy mm-hmm. for for a young player a guy who has the back control to hit anything at this age and you sort of hope that like that that's not going to become a fault and that maybe mm-hmm. that that back control is the one thing that is is ingrained in him mm-hmm. or the ability to damage a mistake.
0: Uh, I, I mean not that I would read that much into either but I guess probably the latter. I guess I'd rather see the guy who could hit a ball that not anyone would hit, and then hope that he swings at good pitches most of the time or learns to do that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Although you might you might imagine that if the next at bat he swung at you know a pitch that uh, that's four feet outside that yeah. you might. Consider that a problem. Okay, and so yeah, and then the second single was a uh, a chopper that was off the first baseman's glove. Both both ball. I mean, he it was it was a it, he was close to an 0 for four, um, okay. and you know he was, it's baseball, so he was probably close to a four for four too. Who, you yeah. know, it's there's not that much you can say about one game, but I mean, I I remember the the the, the similar Bryce Harper reaction when Harper made his debut last year, and to me completely warranted like that was an exciting game like that mm-hmm. throw that he made uh was like a heart-stopping throw I mean it was an incredible throw and Puig's throw was was good but I just don't think that it it would have been nobody would would mention the throw uh otherwise it, it's mainly it's mainly the, the fact that it was Puig's first game and so I don't know I mean you Bless his heart. Bless everybody. I hope he, I hope we have a, a, a great deal of fun with him, and, and I'm gonna I'm willing to put these feelings aside uh, and and let him have a good career. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just feels feels a bit much. Feels a bit much. I wanted to talk about Puig, and then I looked at what other people were saying about Puig, and I thought, oh no, I don't want to talk about Puig. So I decided just to, to go the hater route.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we we joke about narrative and we write about narrative. Uh, and fortunately you and I write for a place where we don't need to make up that much narrative I guess or I don't know we, we write for baseball prospectus and people are just kind of okay with looking at the numbers and what actually happened so we don't have to embellish too much I mean we have to make the story interesting but um, fortunately we don't have to kind of conjure an amazing performance out of thin air I mean I think it was I don't know. There was certainly nothing about what he did that made me discouraged or made me no. think that he is not the prospect that that people think he is. Um, yeah,
1: he's fast. He looks strong. Yeah. He put the bat on the ball and sure. he can throw the ball.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess it's I don't know. It's a it's probably a combination of of him looking decent and and the Dodgers just being kind of depressing um, and needing some sort of good story to. Liven them up, I guess. I mean, if you're if you're someone who writes about the Dodgers all the time, there's been a lot of doom and gloom and outfielders not hitting and outfielders getting hurt, and now suddenly there's a new exciting player and he hasn't gotten hurt or played poorly yet. Um, and you're, I don't know. I guess you're you're looking for something to make people click on your article, and they won't click as much if you if you say that he had a, an okay. Debut and could have gone over four pretty easily, um, so I don't know. It happens, um, but I'm I'm looking forward to, to watching him. Uh, I think he will be an entertaining player one way or another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True. Sure.
0: sure. Uh, I just w- while we while we were talking about Puig, I remember that Nate Silver once wrote an article. Um, it was in 2006. He wrote an article about attendance with two-team cities. Uh, he was writing about the White Sox and the Cubs and Kenny Williams taking an aggressive approach over the offseason because the sense was that the the Cubs were uh, on the brink of of competing or being good and the White Sox had to kind of seize their chance to to be successful while the rest of the city didn't have the Cubs to cling to. Uh, and he, he basically found that there's not much to the idea of Competition between teams in a in two team cities and that if one team is good It doesn't necessarily hurt the other team, but uh, if if both teams are good it can actually Or if if one is good it can help the other team just mm. because it that team then draws so well That it's harder to get tickets for that team And then the other team sells tickets because people just want to go to a baseball game, so um, and I think he found that that Chicago fans just sort of tend to be more loyal than at least the data he was looking at, to their teams during tough times than, than in some of the other cities he was looking at. So I don't know that there is much to the idea that, that the White Sox have to do something because the Cubs are about to be good again. Um,
1: yeah, that makes it makes perfect sense. The, yeah. Cubs, the better the Cubs would be, the better it would be for the White Sox. And in fact, the time that the White Sox need to be good is, is well, specifically when they can't count on the Cubs to essentially push Business their way, mm-hmm. right? yeah, interesting.
0: So
1: did you know angle. that? Did you know that uh, Starbucks? It uh, turns out to be. It, it turns out that if a Starbucks moves into your town, um, like you know, next door to your local independent coffee shop, mm-hmm. and all all the hippies uh, go out and protest and. Talk about what a shame it is that your city is becoming too commercial and how it's going to doom the local coffee shops. In fact, a Starbucks moving into your town is great for local coffee shops. It's it's about the best thing that can happen to a local coffee shop because it uh, it it creates this huge boom of 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 fancy specialty coffee drinkers, mm-hmm. and so you just you it blows up the market for latte drinkers. And um, so all this time, all this time, Starbucks has been being blamed for hurting small business and in factually in in fact it actually uh, builds the market and is good for small business
0: I wonder if that's true in Manhattan where the Starbucks saturation is is such that you literally can't go more than two or three blocks in certain neighborhoods without finding one um, I wonder when it reaches that point whether that still applies did th- did that just talk about sort of towns or did that or was that sort of all-inclusive
1: got to be honest I I I didn't I didn't do the research necessary mm. to answer your follow up questions. All right. Never ask follow up questions. Babe.
0: Yeah, sorry, especially at the end of the podcast.
1: Rob Nair, by the way, just listed the four, the four greatest throws of his life, or something like that. Uh huh. And Puig is one of them, although I didn't read any of the intro, so there might be all sorts of caveats for why Puig is not technically one of the foremost. Huh. Interesting, and in fact, he might. For all I know, there's something uh, ironic that I'm missing by not having read the words. Mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah. Okay. Oh, they're calling it The Throw. With capital, <laughs> oh, no. capital T. Capital T. Two capital Ts.
0: <sighs> mm. Yeah, that's a bit much. <laughs>
1: not, yeah, it's an okay throw.
0: Maybe if, if it had been the World Series? Nope. No? Still no. Still
1: no. Still okay. no. Yeah. So it, it was an okay throw. Okay. It's a good throw. Yeah, good throw. Good arm. He's got a good arm, and he threw an accurate throw. Okay. And tell you what, though, let me make this. Let me make this point. If if D'Norphia had been deked one half second less and mm. had made it back safely, nobody would be talking about the throw right now.
0: I think. Well, I mean, considering the excerpts from that article you read, I think someone would well, okay. be yeah, <laughs> it. It would be the greatest almost almost out in the history of baseball. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, tomorrow email show. So send us some at podcast at baseballperspectus.com.